The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Okay, well let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Micah chapter 3. Micah chapter 3, we're going to be zeroing in on verses 1 to 4. Micah chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. While you're turning there, I was reading an illustration uh, this past week that caught my eye. It says, you fall off your bicycle and you break your leg. You go to the hospital and they fix it. You stagger around on crutches for a while. Then rather gingerly, you start to walk normally again. There is such a thing as putting something to rights, as in fixing it, as getting it back on track. You can fix a broken leg a broken toy, a broken television, why can't we fix injustice? It isn't for lack of trying. So today, family, we seek justice. That is plain as day, especially when we are the victim. But interesting, we seek injustice As plain as day, especially when we are the offending party. Justice is one of those love-hate things, you know. But as we go through our time in Christ, here on earth, justice becomes more and more confusing as our culture continues to progress and as we continue to move forward. Our current culture continues its redefining of values and morality, so much so that we find in many ways the good being called evil and evil things being called good. And the ever-increasing presence of current pop culture continues its conquest and it continues to influence the church to the point where we begin to question who's really evangelizing who? Who's winning? So many today, we are supposed to trust Those who are in charge to know the difference between right and wrong, and they are to be able to tell the difference between justice and injustice as well. But today, we're just not sure anymore. Hmm. Leadership, is it failing? I mean, because... This is not just our government. Don't just look at our government. We're talking about leaderships in all aspects of all institutions and things that we have here in our country, in our nation, especially the church. Even in the church, there, are, there is scandal after scandal, and it's causing many in our nation to just avoid the church altogether. In the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention alone, we have reported a loss of 1.3 million members in the last three years. In the SBC, you know how we used to boast about our large membership? 
Yeah, in the last three years, we've lost 1.3 million members. And you know what the number one reason they gave? People are giving the number one reason is that people just don't trust the church anymore. They just don't trust the church. They just report on all the, the public things that happen. That's the thing about the SBC, right? Anytime something goes wrong, it just goes public, right? Just public, everybody knows about it. The whole world knows about it. just comes out, right? But publicly, we've seen over the years the constant issues that happen when it comes to the abuse of power, all the compromise that's happening, our assimilation into the culture and the endless, seemingly endless, indiscretion reports in our convention with our church leaders. And all of this stuff has much to do with the reason why people just don't trust the church anymore. Because leaders in the church, we're supposed to know better, right? You guys expect us to know better, right? Is it not unthinkable for our leaders to be doing these kinds of things? The repercussions are already there. But what will we do when the judgment of God comes? Because there really is, and this is another interesting thing, there is a rise in atheism of people coming out of the church. Why is it that the church is creating atheists today? Isn't that like the most unbelievable thing that we're seeing? That, that the people that are embracing atheism are people that used to go to church, that are walking out of the church. There is a rise in atheism coming out of this. Sure, we've already talked about this. We right now in the church for many modern day evangelicalism, we, all, we already are suffering from what we call functional atheism. Yeah, we say that there's a God, but we act like there isn't. Whoa. We already suffer from that. So how, how much more nudging and how much more pushing do we think we need before we actually fall into absolute atheism today? So many leaving the church because they just don't believe anymore. All this Christianity stuff people are saying is just myths. It's just legends. It's just stories. It's a figment of your imagination. You know, uh, uh, people will refer, you know, when, I, when I'm evangelizing, people will be like, oh, there, go, there goes Shane again, talking about his, ima- his imaginary sky daddy. You know, that, that, that's how we see it. That's how all this stuff. And I cannot tell you how many times I, when I'm evangelizing, telling people about Jesus and, and we're talking about the gospel that they say they don't believe in God anymore. And one of the things that follow all the time, I used to go to church. I heard all this stuff. I heard all the sermons. I heard all of these kinds of things. So don't talk to me like I don't know. I'm just shocked as to how many of these people that are so aggressively trying to make a point that there is no God who have a background in modern evangelicalism. Wow. What, what, what's happening here? Why, why the shift? Why are we moving to this place where 
Former uh, people who profess to be Christians are now believing that the Bible and Christianity is nothing but myths and legends. So many out there are starting to pollute the water that we fall into the I just don't know category. What do you mean, I just don't know? (laughs) How can we say that as Christians? when God has given us all that we need for life and godliness. When are we going to wake up to this reality, the reality of this, that people are falling into unbelief every single day? And what are they going to do when the judgment of God comes? Judgment of God is coming. Do we disagree? Do we not understand, as Christians today, do we not understand that Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead? That it is happening? It's coming? It's going to happen? Judgment of God is coming, and our pulpits in America today continue to preach on the joys of the good life. We are not taught and told why Christianity is true, so we can't even answer the fool anymore. The lies of living like kings continue to flood the media and our bookshelves. The deception of prosperity continues while even agnosticism is on the rise today. Forgetting that the Bible warns us of the sorrows and difficulty that comes with wealth, yet yet we still want it. Not only that, but my son is even informing me that deism is starting to make a comeback in our culture today. And yet, we want to continue with what we're continuing to do. Are we ever going to address this? The judgment of God is coming, family. Are we not able to tell the difference between justice and injustice in the church? Are we so lost that we're starting to love evil and hate good? Are we no longer able to tell the difference between good and evil? And instead of preaching the reality of the law of God, we in the church are starting to re-embrace the redefinition of the law of God. We no longer want to call sin a sin anymore. Why? Because we just don't want to offend the world. So we no longer embrace the love. We no longer embrace, remember the the thought or the ideology that we, or the, the phrase that we say that we need to love the sinner and hate the sin? Right? We say that all the time. Love the sinner, hate the sin. You know what's starting to happen now in our culture today? We, have no, lo- we no longer embrace that, but we embrace because we love the sinner, we got to accept the sin. That's what we're doing now. No longer love the sinner, hate the sin. Because we love the sinner, we got to embrace the sin. But you know what? How about we make it even easier? Let's fix this. Let's not call it sin. Why don't we just start calling it a mistake? Or let's call it just a a moment of brokenness in the individual. You know what? How about we just get with the times and just call it a good and natural thing? That's just what we do. Hmm. 
Seriously. That's just what we do. And yet it remains. All the stuff we're doing, all the conversations we're having over this, all of the endless debates, all of the the arguments that happen when it comes to this ideology and what it is that we're doing, yet it remains. Judgment is real. Judgment is coming. (laughs) And it's going to be terrible. Do you realize that? It's the funniest thing. You know, it's like we're, we're in the water, we're swimming, and we're all starting to have an argument about who the best swimmer is. And while we're doing that, we're getting chased by sharks. Hmm. And yet it remains. What will we do when the end comes? How many of us evangelical Christians today, I'm asking all of us today, how many of us are going to be ashamed of what we have done? God is coming back. How many of us are going to absolutely be 100% ashamed of what we have done? How about this? How many of us are going to be ashamed of what we did not do? Judgment is coming. I can't stop it. Hey, Pastor Shane, you think you can talk to Jesus and and tell him to hold off on the judgment for a little longer? How many of us are going to be ashamed? Could Jesus come back tomorrow? Yeah. Could Jesus come back next week? Yeah. Could Jesus come back right now? Yeah. Now, if I tell everybody that Jesus is coming back, then he's probably not going to come back, right? Because the day and the hour is not known. That just assures that he's not. We don't know, family. We just don't know. But I feel like in our culture today, we're starting to live as if he's just not coming back. When the cat's away, the mice will play. And remember, he sent the servants. The, the landowner didn't come back. All the, the workers were starting to do awful things to the people. It's what we do. Do we not think Christ is coming back? What are we going to do when the end comes? Well, Shane, that's, that's a lot. I get it. Is there hope for us? Absolutely. Let's take a look. Micah chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Micah chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. I said, listen, you leaders of Israel, you are supposed to know right from wrong, but you are the very ones who hate good and love evil. You skin my people alive and tear the flesh from their bones. Yes, you eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin, and break their bones. You chop them up like meat for the cooking pot. Then you beg the Lord for help in times of trouble. Do you really expect him to answer? After all the evil you have done, he won't even look at you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Pray that it be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. God, I pray that it will accomplish your purpose today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So if you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to look at today is the reality of injustice on the part of the leaders then and in our world today. Second, we're going to look at the continued inhumane treatment of the image bearers of God throughout history. And the last thing we're going to look at is the incredible display of grace and mercy as our Lord does not abandon us, but brings to us his incredible salvation given for the glory of God. So our thesis statement is this today. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to be apathetic to the looming judgment of God upon mankind, it is the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the scriptures that will cause us to see the reality of the coming judgment and rejoice in the salvation that we have in Christ and in Christ alone. So point number one, injustice. Do we know right from wrong. Judgment is coming. Here we have Micah is coming, doing the second cycle of this prophecy that's happening here. The second cycle is coming. If you are a leader, specifically governmental, judicial, religious, you are supposed to be occupied in making sure that justice is done. If you are a leader, this is what he's saying, if you are a leader, you are supposed to be occupied in making sure that justice is done. Uh, Another uh, rendering, you know, as I'm messing with translations here, maybe another way you could say it is, you know, you are supposed to be concerned about justice. It might be translated as, it's your duty to know what people ought to do. Maybe one way. Or it's your responsibility to see that people act justly. This is the accusation. All the leaders, you know, uh, governmental, judicial, judicial, and religious, you are supposed to know justice. And, and here's the thing. The Hebrew word here, yada, for know, it's not just an intellectual thing. He's not saying, you know, you're supposed to just intellectually know about just, justice. It's not just intellectual discernment, but it's actually um, another way of saying it is that to know is like a preferred choice. Used many times in scripture, yada is used many times in scripture for loving. Right? Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, to know. It's not just intellectual discernment. It's also an intimate connection, which means that the leaders in the land, okay, governmental, religious, the leaders in the land are supposed to be, they're supposed to be an affectionate, maybe we can say it that way, an affectionate, knowing Leaders are to be intimately aware of justice and injustice. This comes with the job. If you are going to be a leader, you must be intimately familiar with what it means to be just. This comes with the job. This comes with the territory. It is the necessary precondition for who you are. Are. See, this is why it's unthinkable. When we look at leaders and we see them as being unjust, that's unthinkable. 
The whole point of you being in the position is to make sure that justice is done. How is that? It's like the definition of who you are. It's unthinkable that you would not know justice and injustice. Instead, this is what the Lord is saying to the leaders. Instead, you are the exact opposite of what you're supposed to be. Man, isn't that... That's the thing I'm trying to to get us to understand here. This is an accusation that's being given to the leaders by the living God. The living God is telling you, you are the opposite of what you are supposed to be. Do you not know right from wrong? And oh, and the next part here, we move to the next part here. Okay, you don't know, you're supposed to know justice, but you don't know justice. So let me show you how horrible this is. The image here is striking. What does he say? You don't know justice. Instead, you are those who hate good and love evil. Man, this is huge. Family, this is a big, big deal. This is striking. Another way, you hate to do good things and you love to do evil things. Let that sit for a second. Think about that. You hate to do good things and you love to do evil things. Do you know right from wrong? Dr. Dempster, he writes this. These judicial leaders define the good as the objects of their lust. And they say the evil are obstacles that prevent their fulfillment. That's how they're motivated. The sinful things that they want to do, that's what they're calling good. The the evil things... The evil things, they're calling the bad things or the good things. The good things, they're calling the bad things. See, this is a clear issue. And this is something that God is very, very serious about in Amos chapter 5, verse 15. Amos 5, 15 says, hate evil and love what is good. Turn your courts into true halls of justice. Perhaps... Even yet the Lord of God, the Lord God of heaven's armies will have mercy on the remnant of his people. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, Romans 12, 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Very, very important that we recognize this stuff. And in our culture today, does it not seem like we're not able to tell the difference between what's good and what's evil anymore? Things that we're calling good are actually evil in the sight of God. Things that we're calling bad are good in the sight of God. And it's starting to get confusing and people just don't know. We just don't know where to stand. So then we do the the common cowardly Christian thing. We keep our mouths shut. Oh, I don't want to get involved. Oh, I don't want to get involved in this. This is why this is a serious issue. Okay, let me, let me show you again why this is a serious issue. Did you know that this ideology or this principle here that God has given us, you know, loving evil, hating good, not being able to tell the difference between good and evil, this is a serious issue 
because it's a woe. Remember I told you, anytime you see the Bible say, woe to those, that's a serious, serious thing. I love the way the the Living Translation will actually uh, translate it this way. What sorrow awaits those? Not woe to those. What sorrow awaits those? What sorrow awaits you if you do this? This is a clear warning with the worst kind of setup, clearly compatible with Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those, what sorrow awaits those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. How serious is this, Shane? This is, in essence, the nature of what it is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Think about that passage of Scripture. We're all afraid of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Why? You guys remember why we're afraid of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Because it's unpardonable. There's no forgiveness for it. This is absolutely extraordinary. But what was the context of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? They were attributing the works of the Holy Spirit to the devil. Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. What sorrow awaits if you find yourself in this category? Family, if you get to the place where you cannot tell the difference between good and evil, oh, what sorrow awaits us. That's why this is a serious issue. They are supposed to know intimately the reality of justice and injustice, and they have become the opposite of what they're supposed to be, and they have done the worst thing imaginable, the unpardonable. They hate good, and they love evil. Do you know right from wrong, family, today? If you look at our culture today, look at our nation today, ask the question, Do we know right from wrong today? It's amazing. Do we know right from wrong? And this, family, is a very interesting psychological principle. I remember um, in college when I was going through my social psychology class, and we were talking about the idea that all of the people that do these horrible things, like we'd spent some time talking about these mass mass killings, uh, mass genocide, all these kinds of things, uh, leaders from before, you know, Hitler, Stalin, all that stuff. We talked about all of these types of things. And we see some of the most, uh, the worst atrocities, uh, absolute injustice, all of that stuff. You see just the worst inhumane things that happen to human beings. Do you know that every single one of those guys actually thought they were doing a good thing? They don't sit back and they don't go, hey, let's try to figure out what the worst thing we can do. Let's go out there and do something. No, they believed that what they were doing was good. What sorrow awaits you when you call good evil and evil good? Confusion, 
But see, here's the thing. That's not the end of the accusation. So number one, there's injustice in the land. You're the exact opposite of what you're supposed to be. You love evil. You hate good. But not only that, you have done some of the most inhumane, awful things to human beings. Point number two, inhumane. They practice what you know, I'm going to call spiritual cannibalism. <laughs> spiritual cannibalism. This is what they've practiced. They were accused in the first cycle, the first cycle of the prophecies, they were accused of robbing people of their homes and their possessions, leaving nothing for the next generation. You remember that? You rob their homes, you rob their children, there's nothing left for the next generation. There's no inheritance for them now. Now, they're accused of stealing or robbing the skin of the people they are supposed to be serving. It says, tearing skin and flesh. Tearing skin and flesh is seen here to show their unfeeling. So not only are you judging, you can't, you can't judge justice and injustice. You hate good, you love evil, right? You're lost. Not only that, but now you're beginning to show indifference to human exploitation and human suffering. You are supposed to care for these people. And not only are you ruling in this crazy way, and not only are you making these horrible judgments, now you're robbing them of human dignity. Why are you doing this? How could you do this? How could you practice spiritual cannibalism? And then what we see here is even more graphic. And the people that they are supposed to be serving are now being served. Oh yeah, you're supposed to be serving these people. Now you've put them on a platter and you're serving them up for food. They practice spiritual cannibalism. Psalm chapter 14, verse 4. Psalm 14, 4. Will those who do evil never learn? They eat up my people like bread and wouldn't think of praying to the Lord. To show how badly they treat the people, the most brutal and graphic pictures are used to describe what they're doing by God. The living God is accusing them of cannibalism. Accusation is cannibalism. You chop them up like meat. Chop them up. You break their bones. You know, I was, I was, always, I was puzzled by that, like the breaking the bones, you know, when it comes to... Sir. So I, I was uh, reading a little bit more about that. that that's, that's what you do. Apparently, that's what you do. I, I don't know it because I've never done this before, but you, you chop up the bones of the animal and the marrow in there and all that stuff adds flavor to broth. So when you, when you cook a soup, you chop up the bones and you put the bones in there and that's what, you know, that's how you make the soup. So you make soup. So you chop them up like meat and you break their bones. It signifies them using their marrow to make soup. You are like a butcher or you are like a wolf who devours its prey. They practice spiritual cannibalism. This is an awful thing to be accused of, family. In my studies, 
in cultural anthropology, we see the practice of cannibalism in some cultures. And some are so embarrassed by the practice of their ancestors that today it's almost a hate crime to bring it up in conversation. Now, you're talking to somebody from a different culture whose ancestors practice cannibalism. Oh, yeah, they'll react as if you completely, totally, like, uh, offended them and their culture by just bringing it up. You know, I often heard that, you know, back in the day, your ancestors used to eat people. No, 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 no. You don't bring that up. It's almost a hate crime to bring it up because nations are, are people and the ancestors and cultures, they're so embarrassed by the practice of cannibalism. You don't bring it up. See, and that's, that's the thing about how horrible this is. Even generations later, we're not talking about just, you know, my parents did. This is my great, 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 great grandfather. He used to do this stuff. Generations later, and they're still embarrassed over it. This is the, the understanding of how horrible this is, that later generations will still carry the shame of the practice. That's why this is big. You don't ever want to ever be accused of any kind of cannibalism. Right? But here's the question today. Let's not think that this kind of spiritual cannibalism is not happening today. Oh yeah, in Micah's time, even though there might have been the practice of cannibalism in surrounding nations this was still to be understood as metaphorical. So this is understood, metaphorical cannibalism. Is this happening today? You bet it is. Oh my gosh, it's happening today. We have to understand that in a consumeristic culture, which is our nation, we're a consumeristic culture. We're all about consumption, right? We're, we're like the coneheads, remember? Consumption of mass quantities, that, that's what we do. You guys remember the cone hands? No? Okay. Is that, that's, you know, before your generation? No, after your generation. <laughs> In a consumeristic culture, we're a consumeristic culture. We consume. It is only a matter of time before we start consuming ourselves. In a consumeristic culture, it is only a matter of time before we start to consume our own. The people that they are supposed to be serving are now being served. No? Don't think so? Shane, I don't, I don't know if I see it. Don't think so? Do you, I want us to see this here today. Do we see that we even have a category? There is a category in our culture today, where we, a division where we put things. There is a category called human resources. Now, bear with me before you, got, you know, start getting all upset and running out of the church. Bear with me. We have a category, a division in the workplace, even called human resource management. <laughs> now, it was harmlessly done. I know. I, I know that we did it. There was, no, there was not intended to be harm. But what the idea that comes with it I think it starts to affect even how we think in our culture. Again, harmlessly done. 
But it is inevitable in a consumeristic culture and we start to use tags like human resources, we actually begin to see people as resources. Actually identifying people as things to be used. It's inevitable that we would start to see people more and more as something to be used. We now become a thing. Now we are a use. Oh, here's a better one. People are now a function. And what do we do with things that don't function anymore? Huh. Eventually, family, we're going to stop seeing a person we continue down this road and we continue to, to see people as resources, continue down this road, we are going to eventually stop seeing a person as being someone who is an image bearer of God. That's the difference. That's the point. This is the thing that we're trying to make, and we see this in, in biblical prison. And, and, and this is actually starting to become a controversial issue where people are saying that no, humans are not any better or any different than the animals or the insects or even bacteria. We're starting to see that. Well, people are just like, you know, hey, we're not seeing people as any different. But this is the issue. The reason why the Bible seems to make this, di- this, 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 this distinction is because human beings are the ones who are carrying the image of God. Image bearers of God. Eventually, we stop seeing this. Again, we're starting to see people as even less than the animals. Oh, yeah. There was, uh, I forgot. What, what was the... I can't remember if this is like a, a real thing. I didn't have it in here. I just, it just popped into my mind. The story about the, 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 the lady who was driving and there was a person in the street and that person was, you know, was going to get hit and she swerved and instead of hitting the person, she hit a dog. And people were more upset with the fact that she hit the dog and wanted charges brought, all this kind of stuff. You know, and, and some of us, we even kind of feel that, like, you know, why, why, why did she hit the person? where they were saying she should have hit the person. Don't hit the dog, hit the person. Why are we saying stuff like this? Hit the image bearer of God. Now again, again, I have dogs. You know, chances are if it was my dog, I might think twice. I I love my dogs. I get it. I understand the whole thing. But... Why is it so easy for us to fall into these kinds of thought processes and and why people are reacting that way? Because humans are being diminished. We're no longer being seen as image bearers of God. We're being seen as less than that, as objects, as resources, in some ways a disease or even down to a place where we're simply a function to be used and disposed of. We say animals are to be loved and cared for, but people are to be used and discarded as objects, as resources. Objects and resources. You know, I just, want, I just wonder sometimes, like sometimes you kind of get that feeling like, you know, you're walking your dog in the park, you know, you're at Del Mar Park and you're walking your dog. 
you know, and, you know, you see like a cute dog. He's like, oh, wow, a cute dog. And you start to pet the dog. I just love it. Oh, this is just amazing. And then you're walking your dog and a, and a person's jogging by. And goes, hey, how you doing? Oh, why didn't you say hi? You said hi to the dog. Well, that's just a person. That's just people. Are we starting to see people as just objects? The people that they are supposed to be serving are now being served. Beauty is not seen as something to be admired anymore. It's something to be objectified and used to sell products on TV. And this mad dash for women in our culture today to do all of these things, to, to, be, to be beautiful, to be something that to be admired, all of these types of things. Yeah, you know, back in the day, that might have been the case. I, I mean, I can't remember any time beauty wasn't objectified to sell products on TV, but, you know, maybe there was a time where that was the case. But even more and more, today in our culture, the human body is being objectified and seen just as things that exist to satisfy sexual and sensual desires. Not as image bearers, not as covenant recipients, but as objects and as resources. The people that are supposed to be serving are now being served. Well, what about the higher-ups? I mean, you know, hey, Shane, I know people, you know, that are lower, you know, the middle, middle class, the people in the park. Yeah, those people are definitely recent. But the people that are higher up, uh-uh, no, those people, they're not objectified. They're not treated as resources. <laughs> Athletes and celebrities are not immune from this. In some ways, you see even more objectification. We see them being used as resources. We just think that because they get a lot of money, that this is okay. But no, this is a horrible, horrible thing that's actually happening in this arena. Hollywood is known for using their celebrities, using them, using them up and kicking them to the curb after they get what they want. Oh, you don't look the same anymore. We can't use you no more. Athletes are used and abused by their teams. And when they just can't perform anymore, they're simply cut and they're done. Oh, we think, well, because they make millions and millions of dollars that it's okay. Is it? In many ways, they are some of the most exploited people in our nation. You know, <laughs> I love what one comedian said. He's like, you got to understand the whole thing when it comes to the whole thing when it, when it comes to athletics and, and it comes to the individuals, it comes to athletes and all that stuff. And they talk about, <laughs> talks about one comedian says, you need to understand Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq is rich. The man who signs his check is wealthy. <laughs> Exploited? Exploited? Objects? Resources? Family, I've been privy to some information, got some training over the last couple of months, and, and we got, I got some information on this thing called human trafficking in our world today. Now you want to talk about objects? You want to talk about resources? Oh yeah, how valuable are, is human resources in this industry? It's a multi-billion dollar industry today. Using people as objects, resources, human trafficking, whether it's sexual or whether it's even labor. 
a multi-billion dollar industry. Use them to make money and give you the evil that you love. And then they are, when they're done, you just cast them away as if they're just used up rubbish. Use them for whatever you want. You know? They're rubbish. A resource. It's like, I, 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 you know, my, my, one of my uncles used to always talk about Kleenex. He says, you talk about, like, Shane, you act like your, your life is the worst life ever. Oh, I'm so, so bad. Life is just so hard. Could you imagine? What if you were born to be a Kleenex? What is the destiny of a tissue? What's the purpose of a tissue? The reason why you exist is some nasty, cold, disease, bacteria-infested nose is going to blow on you and then cast out. Is that how we are? Is that how we treat it? We do more and more in our culture to see, in our, to see people as resources more than image bearers of God. Our culture devours. We devour to give us the evil we love and to rid us of the good that we hate. Our leaders today use people to get what they want. We think that they, we are being served, but instead we are being served. The wolves came to devour and devour they do. They say they're going to pray for us, but instead they pray on us. And one day, these leaders are going to cry out for help. And what do you think is going to happen? Point number three. There's going to be a time where the leaders are going to be in trouble and they're going to cry out to the Lord in horrible distress. It always comes to that, doesn't it? They're lofty, highest hills, saying the things that they need to say, doing the things that they need to do, and then what happens? <laughs> what happens? Eventually, they become the prey. And then they're quick to get on their knees. Oh, God. Oh, God. Please help me. Why are you quiet? Why aren't you listening to me? Why won't you do anything? Oh, Lord, come on. They'll be crying out in horrible distress. And you know what they're actually crying out to the Lord? They're crying out the Lord for justice to be done. <laughs> That's the irony of this family. They're crying out for justice to be done. They will be crying out for the Lord to love good and to hate evil. They will be urging the Lord to serve. And what will be the result? Because you have done what you've done, I will not even look at you. That, that's, that's huge, family. That's huge. That God is going to turn His face from us. You know, isn't, isn't that the blessing? The Lord bless you, keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
that the Lord is looking at us, that the Lord is looking down on us, that the Lord is doing that. That's the essence of being blessed by God. Do you know how you know you're blessed by God? God is looking at you. Oh, man. That's why this is such a horrible thing. It's not that God's, Micah here doesn't say, oh, oh, God's not going to listen to you. No, 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 God, God's not going to have anything to do with you. You're going to cry out for help one day and God's just going to ignore you. No, he says the worst thing that could possibly happen to the creation. God is not even going to look at you. Horrible judgment. Christ, when he was on the cross, his moment where he freaked out was when what? Oh God, why have you forsaken me? When God looks away, because of what you've done, I will not even look at you. God will abandon them. There will be no answer from God. There will be no salvation. They will experience the worst thing a human being can experience, the abandonment from God, the silence of God as he no longer looks at us. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13. Proverbs 21, 13. Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored even in their time of need. This is the reality of judgment. The judgment is going to come. It's coming, it's real, and it's going to be terrible. It's not going to be a good thing. All the lies that are out there of people saying that hell is going to be this big gigantic party, it's not. It is going to be terrible. Outer darkness, eternal fire, the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is not going to be good. And all that the Lord has promised concerning judgment came to pass, and it was a horrible catastrophe. Read Jeremiah. He did not listen. He did not stop it. He did not save them when the Syrians and the Babylonians came. Today, family, we've got to know that judgment is real. Judgment is coming, and it will be terrible. And when it comes, it will be too late. The sins we commit today are the same kind of sins we see in the time of Micah. God will bring judgment upon those who thrive in injustice, those who love evil and hate the good, those who do not love their God and do not love their neighbor, those who use and abuse other people. Why would we think that our punishment would be any different? different. Judgment is coming. Oh, but Shane, I'm saved. Yeah, yeah, I I get it. I know. That's awesome. But when Jesus comes, are you going to be ashamed of what you've done and ashamed of what you have not done? Don't be deceived, family. Justice is coming. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. We are all by nature children of wrath. By nature, we are enemies of God. 
The wages of sin is death. There is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. If you've broken the smallest of commandments, you are as guilty as those who have broken all of them. Our righteousness is as as filthy rags. We, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us to his own way. We are all guilty of doing what is right in our own eyes. Family, the reality is this. We deserve to be abandoned by God. We deserve to be forsaken. That's that's what we deserve. And God would be completely just in doing it, wouldn't he? But he has not abandoned us. He did not forsake us. Judgment is coming and when the time comes it's going to be too late but did you know what he gave us the time right now the lord has made a way for us to be saved from the judgment that's coming the sword of christ is coming and we can be saved this is the gospel salvation is here for us today Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He came to this world to seek and to save that which was lost. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Salvation's here. We can be saved today. We need, for many of us, we may need to, we always need to be reminded of what it was that we were saved from. To let us all and to remind us all that, yeah, we didn't get saved by our power. Why would we think that we would be sanctified by our power? To be reminded that it is the power of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit that will bring us to salvation and to be made more and more in the likeness of Christ. He who began a good work in us will be faithful and just to bring it to completion in the day of the Lord. Not because I trust our efforts. Not because I trust my efforts. Oh, Lord. Lord, I cannot trust my efforts. I know I'm going to be okay, not because of my strength, but because of the grace of God. The promises continue. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation. We don't ha- I'm not going to try to make you all feel better to, to, you know, about the judgment that's coming. That's why I feel like our culture and our church has bought this idea that what we got to do is we got to help people's self-esteem. Yeah, judgment is coming. There's nothing to, to do about it if you believe judgment is coming. But if you believe judgment is coming, why not go out with a bang? Be as happy as you can be before everything gets really bad. Fine. You got your bowl of stew and absolutely sacrificed your entire inheritance. The world is calling us to sacrifice our inheritance with Christ for a bowl of stew. Salvation is here. Right now, know this family, God has not abandoned us. The word was made flesh and he dwelt among us. 
He came to us. We are blessed with his presence. He promised to never leave us nor forsake us. He said he will be with us always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.